This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. In this week, after All Hallows' Eve, Samhain, Day of the Dead, All Saints' Day, and All Souls' Day, I thought we should visit a cemetery garden, a garden dedicated to our ancestors. Ghosts or not, visiting a garden space dedicated to them seems appropriate this time of year as we move into the darker time and the restful dormancy of winter. Little known fact about me, I love cemeteries as garden spaces and the way in which flowers and plants are interwoven into the way we as humans say goodbye to, hold on to, and honor our dead. Burial sites of different cultures around the world are also noted horticultural destinations. This week, we head to Boston's Mount Auburn Cemetery, a historic cemetery where horticulture and a wide horticultural legacy was integrated into its purpose from its very founding and has continued to this day. The cemetery is the final resting place for many notable people. The famed botanist Aza Gray is among them. Mount Auburn is in the process of restoring the area of the cemetery grounds known as Aza Gray Garden, dedicated to Aza Gray's botanical legacy. Here to share more about Mount Auburn in general and this garden and project specifically are Dave Barnett, President and CEO of Mount Auburn, and Ricardo Austrich, landscape architect and senior associate at Halverson Design Partnership in Boston. Mount Auburn is first and foremost a cemetery, but it's also a national historic landmark, a botanical garden, an outdoor museum of art and architecture, and an important habitat for urban wildlife. Dave and Ricardo join us today from the PRX Podcast Garage in Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome, Dave and Ricardo. Glad to be here. Happy to be here. Let's get started with you, Dave, and have you give listeners a little bit of background on just exactly what is the area known as Asa Gray Garden at Mount Auburn? Yes. Um, well, Asa Gray Garden was named Asa Gray Garden af- in, uh, in the 1940s after the Harvard botanist, um, w- world-renowned Harvard botanist Asa Gray. Um, but Prior to it being named that, it has since since early in our since after our founding, we we were founded in 1831, and, and you know, pretty much ever since then, the the garden has just been the area called, now called Asa Gray Garden has been a gathering place just inside the front entrance and in, in mm-hmm. between our two chapels, where it's a important functionally as a place for people to convene and get together and park and and get organized to attend a memorial service or or. Or go for a walk, um, so it has that function. But then, but it's also also been a gone through various iterations. But it's always been a garden that that really um, represented the, the the time, the era over the 180 plus years that we've existed. So it's it's been an important spot, it right inside the gate that you know a prominent location all along. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's one of the first places that visitors see yes. and experience in coming to the area. Ricardo, give us a little bit of context about historic cemetery garden work in general, because I believe your firm has a sort of history with this kind of work in the landscape architecture world. Well, 
we started, our founder, Craig Halverson, started this work back in um, the early 90s uh, when we were hired by Mon Auburn Cemetery to develop a master plan. And one of the things that was important about this master plan was that at that time, Mon Auburn, as many of these old historic cemeteries, felt like uh, they were running out of burial room. And so, because historic cemeteries are unique and sort of active historic cemeteries like Mon Arbonne are unique institutions in that they're both kind of a place of beauty and, and memory and repose and healing, but they're also a business and they're in the business of creating commemorative memorialization spaces. And so, uh, at that time, um, Dave's predecessor approached uh, our firm and said, we need help to develop a master plan because we're not sure we have much more room and we'll be running out soon. Uh, but thankfully, Craig, who was an incredibly creative guy, uh, and his team of, at that time, this is over 28 years ago, developed a series of strategies that uh, enabled people and places like Monarburn to commemorate and memorialize for, uh, deceased folks uh, in settings of great beauty and solace that were respectful of the of the setting and the context of, of these unique places. The current horticultural work at Mount Auburn in general, including this master plan that you're referring to, is really based a little bit on the history of Mount Auburn. Dave, you you mentioned its original founding. Could Mm -hmm. you describe a little bit more about that for listeners? Because where it's located in the city and the the time at which it was founded, I I think it's it's fairly unique in having horticulture as a part of its original purpose. Well, yes. it, it was founded in 1831, actually by the Massachusetts Horticultural Society that yeah. was had just been established in 1829. So it was a, a new group, but it was important to note that it was a group of of amateur horticulturists. I mean, most mm-hmm. of them made their living in other ways, but you know they were very keenly interested in and uh, about and in, in growing plants, vegetables, trees, everything in between. And so it was that group that that actually looked for and began to um, search for a place that they could establish what didn't exist yet in our country at, at the time is a is a, a large-scale landscape des- designed to function as a cemetery but also to be designed to be of beauty and inspiration to the living and you know prior to that it was cemeteries were in churchyards primarily or in the in the city and not in serving a very important function but not not it didn't the function did not include being a beautiful inspirational place for mm-hmm. thought of more like as a park and um so that's what Mount Auburn the the horticulture society began to look for a place to create such a place um modeled after Père Lachaise that existed at, in Paris but there was nothing like this in in our country so when they were able to find a, a woodland natural area and begin to develop it as a, as a cemetery but also as a beautiful picturesque landscape that was it was a bold new concept that it just really there was nothing like it in in the country so it really caught on and it became known as the the rural cemetery movement we were bought uh, Mount Auburn Cemetery is five miles outside of the downtown Boston so it was way out in the woods at the time you know, we're not <laughs> we're not any we're urban we're an oasis in an urban 
environment now, but mm-hmm. um, but that was that was the the concept was so new and so so innovative that it really did catch on. It was Mount Auburn became very popular as as a tourist destination as well as a, a cemetery. So um, it throughout the rest of the country, you know, most of the major cities began to, to duplicate the concept of, of a rural cemetery that would serve both as a, as a park-like setting and a cemetery. And so all of that is, what, uh, is how we got started. And, and yes, you know, horticulture has been, and landscape design has, has been very important right from the start at Mount Auburn. Yeah. So before we go further into some of the specifics about the project and um, how it's how it's moving forward and integrating into the existing horticulture, let's get a little background on each of you. And let's start with you, Dave. What brought you to this kind of work? How long have you been at Mount Auburn? Well, uh, Ricardo referred to the master plan that the Halverson team did it was completed in 1993 and and w- at that time that's when I came to Mount Auburn I was hired by by Bill Clendaniel who Ricardo also mentioned was was the fairly new president of Mount Auburn at the time and he had commissioned and and led the process for this master planning process and he uh, hired me as director of horticulture so I came 25 years ago as with uh, came because of the trees and the landscape <laughs> really really uh, attracted me but that, my background prior to that was I uh, grew up in Connecticut and in, in a garden center nursery family and my dad was a landscape architect and you know I always was involved with plants um, then I I went I got a bachelor's degree and, and a master's degree in horticulture and then a PhD in ecology and as my as far as my School, so horticulture and ecology, and then I, uh, I worked had a few experiences at various botanical gardens, including Longwood Gardens and Morton Arboretum, and then I was at Planting Fields Arboretum as assistant director. Planting Fields Arboretum is on Long Island, near um, east of New York City, and so that was my background. All I had made a long time ago a decision that I wanted to be in the public garden field. Um, and that's exactly what I was in. But then when this opportunity came up, uh, I, I I wasn't looking really, but I but I had met Bill and I came and just saw the spectacular beauty of of, of the the trees and the landscape at Mount Auburn and decided it was uh, of great appeal. And here I am still here all these years later. And I think a, an important point I would I would I don't want to forget to make is that what attracted me to when I did decide to come to Mount Auburn was that the master plan that that we've we've mentioned, one of the most important points that that was made in it that was written down was that preservation and enhancement of the landscape will come first in all future decisions regarding cemetery development. And I think it was a real commitment that the board of trustees had made that let's try to remain a cemetery and but let's make sure we're always conscious of preserving and enhancing the important significance and character of the landscape. So that's what we've been trying to do ever since. Yeah. Well, and it clearly is a public garden, and mm-hmm. you are still in public gardening in a very specific way, yep. which is one of these overlaps that I just I have always enjoyed in in horticulture and in the world of of public and publicly accessible landscapes. So, Ricardo, give us a little bit of your history and what brought you to Halverson, and then 
Um, when you sort of took the lead on this project there at Mount Auburn, and then we'll, we'll move a little bit into some of the specifics of the horticultural significance there. It's kind of a long journey. I, um, I was that funny Latino kid who liked plants growing up in Boston. <laughs> and so uh, I was lucky enough to live close to another place, an important institution called the Old Arboretum. <laughs> and I became an intern there. And uh, so my first exposure was probably in the 70s and, yeah, coming over to the Arnold. Uh, and then they would take us to Mount Auburn for plant classes. And so that was like, wow, look at this crazy place with, you know, these all these beautiful old monuments. And, you know, Mary Baker Eddy's buried here and all this kind of stuff of Boston history. And uh, that sort of then led to my undergrad in, in horticulture. And then I knew I wanted to work in the public realm and in design, so I ended up getting a master's degree in landscape architecture and, you know, started the work life. And Halverson Design was always a firm that I was impressed with because it was a firm that both combined design and horticulture in a really skillful and beautiful way. And so um, I started at Halverson um, in the year 2000, 18 years ago. And uh, the founder, Craig, who is still a colleague and work with and is really the inspirational, he's the spirit guide, I would say, um, said, you know, put me on projects related to cemeteries. And he said, I think, you know, your skill set would be very good because of your interest in caring about plants. And so my first project was actually not at here at uh, Mount Auburn, but it was in Minneapolis at another landscape cemetery called Lakewood Cemetery in Minneapolis, which is kind of in that league of Mount Auburn cemeteries of historic landscape cemeteries. But then in the, I guess it was probably in 2004 or five, began working on projects at Mount Auburn. And so that sort of was the beginning of all these different development projects within the cemetery. And then this Aza Gray Garden project had been sort of in gestation for a very long time uh, at Mount Auburn, probably since 2000, because there's an interesting history that maybe Dave could tell about. Some of the original trees that were brought over from the Boston Public Library. But this is a project that had been in the books for a long time, and it finally kind of blossomed uh, about uh, 2015, um, thanks to some partnerships that Dave was able to make happen. And uh, then the, the thing began, and that was very exciting. But I think Dave could maybe talk a little bit about some of the interesting background of like where the plants, some plants that started this whole process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I would love that. I think that's a perfect segue. And Dave, what I'd love you to do is give us a little bit of an overview of the entire cemetery, how big it is, some of the um, historic plants or groups of plants that you are are caring for there, and then move us to the Aza Gray project and how big it is and its horticultural history. Mount Auburn is 175 acres today. Um, The original purchase of the property was much smaller, more like 80 acres, but it's then over the few iterations it expanded. But so today we're 175 acres and we really are surrounded by by suburbs, by urban sprawl, but we're an amazing and we're important today, you know, more than ever as as an urban, as an oasis, a, a green space in an urban environment. And that, so that has one of our overriding themes and strategic initiatives is to be a model of environmental stewardship and to do 
many, many things that are, you know, related to, to that. But within that, as far as the landscape, we're are constantly are, when I first came, you know, the, the directives of the master plan, we've been refining and carrying it out, out ever since. But overall, we're trying to preserve the intent of our founders that had this amazing vision and, you know, bold idea to be a place of inspiration and, and comfort and beauty. And but now, in addition to that, we're trying to preserve the, the various de design characters of different areas of the cemetery, reflect the Victorian period of of both statuary and ornament, the, the structures that were built as well as, the, as well as the plantings. We have a natural woodland area that that was close to being what it might have been. I mean, there were still a lot of native trees, but we've, over 20-some years that, that I've been there, we've we've restored the understory and restored it as a, a more of a New England woodland and been able to get a number of gifts and, and partners to help us do that. And so we have very natural areas and very ornate, ornamental kind of gardens um, and many styles in between. And so overall, we're trying to to preserve the different the evolution of Mount Auburn, the stories of Mount Auburn, both the people, all the people buried there, as well as the the styles that change and traditions that um, funerary art and other as traditions changed over the decades. Our job today is to try to preserve all that. But this back to that, what really attracted me is preservation and enhancement of the landscape will come first. the The landscape at Mount Auburn is the combination of the trees and the plantings and the structures. That's really what makes Mount Auburn Cemetery so different from Arnold Arboretum, as I mentioned, or any, any other botanic garden or, or arboretum that doesn't have the funerary part of art of it. And it's really, it's an interesting dilemma at times to, to preserve both, but it also is pretty pretty exciting and interesting to, you know, to really be trying to respect and, and as possible enhance the the founding vision, and then the vis and the visions of those that that succeeded the founders, and that we're following now, and you know, care continuing to be a place of inspiration and, and beauty, and you know, it's so that's the overall story of Mount Auburn. Maybe I should just add that a, that another horticulturally, we're we're trying to add to the diversity of the plant collections, the tree from mm. trees to shrubs to ground covers, add more varieties and species that we don't have any of or many of and you know a lot of that is related to the importance of of having biodiversity and um if we have a as cl as climate is changing or as other other stresses of insect or disease problems happen the more different kinds of plants we have the more better we're buffered and protected and mm -hmm. so that's a you know a lot of a lot of what we do is with that in mind and that goes hand in hand with improving the wildlife habitat value of the landscape, more yeah. from naturalistic landscapes. There's a lot of ecological and horticultural and historic preservation goals and, and objectives that we have that are continuing to be carried out. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. This week, we're speaking with Dave Barnett, CEO of Mount Auburn Cemetery in Boston, Massachusetts, and Ricardo Austrich of Halverson Design about the recently completed renovation of the Aza Gray Garden at the entrance to the historic Landscape Cemetery. We'll be back after a break to hear more about the specific trees, shrubs, and flowering perennials illustrating the legacy of Aza Gray, who was notable for recording the similarities between woody plant specimens in Asia and their related trees and shrubs in North America. A 
phenomenon known as disjunct pairs. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Jennifer. So what about you? How do you feel about cemeteries, graveyards, burial sites? Do you love them? Or are you a little hesitant about them? It might depend on where you grew up or where you've lived in your life as to where you fall on this spectrum. While I grew up in a very rural foothill area of Colorado's Front Range, I also grew up visiting family in Boston, New York, and South Carolina annually. We were the only part of my mother or father's extended families who moved west. When we visited the east or the southeast, historic cemeteries and graveyards were part of the landscape, full of interesting plants and horrifying history. But perhaps it was because of how my family embraced these spaces as beautiful, peaceful to visit and walk through, and part of everyday life. I did too. When I attended high school in a small town outside of Boston, there was a beautiful old cemetery across the road from the girl's house I lived in. And we girls would walk through the cemetery coming or going to school. It felt full of spirit, not scary, just spirited. And the plants were lush and interesting and cared for, a little different at each headstone or plot, giving a sense of personality much like gardens do. There's a whole wonderful history of heritage plants, especially roses, that are rediscovered in old cemeteries across the country and then brought back into the horticultural trade, from historic cemeteries in Boston, in New York, Denver, and Sacramento, among others. Which seems like a beautiful cycle of restoration and reincarnation on some level. One of the many lessons of any garden for us gardeners. I hope you find time to check out the photos of Mount Auburn and the restored Aza Gray Garden, its art, architecture, and landscape. It is a walk through time, a lesson in humanity, in our way of life and death and life again. Speaking of a well-tended garden and hard-working gardeners, now through December 3rd, Women's Work Gloves and Garden Gear are partnering with Cultivating Place to offer listeners a 10% holiday discount off their entire order, including free shipping for orders over $40 just by using the code WW10 when you check out. For every order placed, a generous donation comes back to Cultivating Place from Women's Work. That's W-O-M-A-N-S W-O-R-K dot com. I'm such a fan of their gloves. The leather ones, the long-wearing weeders. My daughters loved the Women's Work t-shirts and stole mine. And my partner, John, a professional plantsman, says his man's work gloves have lasted longer than any he's ever used. So support womanswork.com, whose motto is strong women building a gentle world. And support Cultivating Place at the same time. Enjoy the best gardening gloves ever as well. Now back to our conversation with Dave Barnett and Ricardo Austrich at Mount Auburn Cemetery. The Aza Gray project, give me a sort of visual tour as you, as you come in, what are the plants of note and how big is that space? I guess I would start by saying 
you know, kind of as a follow-up to what I just was trying to say about o- Mount Auburn overall, the 175 mm-hmm. acres, that um, in this much smaller, what is it, Ricardo, three acres? Three, three about, yeah, I was just going to say, but I would say, hmm. uh, you know, right inside the gate. But w- I think now what we have tried to do and what I think now that it's just completed is the, the Days of Great Garden itself really pro- truly represents what Mount Auburn overall provides as a place of comfort and and inspiration in a in what we say a landscape of exceptional beauty, you know all and I could stop there. But on top of that, it it has a very diverse collection of over 175 different varieties of of trees and shrubs and ground covers that that provide color and interest all year round. And and so it's really it's a plant collection worthy of any botanical garden but it but if if you're not interested in that and you're there coming there to grieve or to visit for a memorial service it's a place of comfort and inspiration and relaxation at the same time and that's what we've tried to develop working with the with the Halverson team Ricardo and the team to really really get into that and I and I in the next level of detail is to talk about the plant species and what we have in there and how it relates to Asa Gray the a botanist, but that's that's the overview. Does that kind of get to what you were asking? Yes. And so, Ricardo, maybe take it from there and describe where where you started with the garden, and then the the plans for the garden. And I would love any sort of specifics on plants and trees that are in this section of the garden. I, I want to just sort of take it back a little bit for your radio listeners who've never been in a place like Mount Auburn, but it's thinking it sort of at from 30,000 feet. It's it's a series of outdoor rooms that have each of them have a different character. So I think, you know, Dave described the Victorian, the natural, and and so forth. And so this is, this is part of the sort of entry precinct. And so um, as part of the entry precinct, I think there was great interest in really bringing in the kind of Asa Gray story of his interest in Asian plants. And so it all began probably in, was it 1999? They were doing a renovation for the Boston Public Library, and there were four or five mature Japanese maples that were transplanted from the public library to Mount Auburn, and they've thrived. And there was this story of like, Let's let's bring in Asian plants and let's bring in plants that are not necessarily native, but plants that were from the sort of region of the world that was one of the regions that Asa Gray studied. And so from a kind of a, 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 the other focal piece was that there was this area was once a lowland and then they had mm-hmm. through the most of the 20th century always had a water feature and there was a sort of central water feature that was meant to be soothing and calming and reflective. And so a lot of the work that took place was to sort of have the water feature as a sort of an adornment and then have the plants tell a greater story. And so as you come in, the the idea is that the water feature kind of draws your eye in. And then if you're interested in the story, you'll start, you'll begin to look at the plants. And so there are plants that are from sort of uh, exotic Asian trees like the dove tree or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Japanese trees or magnolias or um, uh, something called the Don Redwood. Or these are all plants that are, you know, originally things like stewardias or that are from Asia, but also have have 
pairs of and this is a key word, pairs that are similar that live in North America because this was very much about how Asa Gray, who was a correspondent with Darwin, looked at sort of the species and how species were really kind of originated back during Pangaea and that, that there were similarities or what we refer to technically as disjunct pairs. And so, and the notion was to have not only sort of trees, but shrubs and, and, and perennials that sort of mm-hmm. reflect this kind of exotic quality of both native plants and, and non-native plants. I think it's important to add to that, that it, it, reflecting the legacy of, of Asa Gray, the, the botanist, I mean, he had studied, he, has, he had noticed the similarities, as, as Ricardo just said, of, of, north, of plant specimens, herbarium, dried plant press specimens that were being shipped to him yeah. from, from Asia and from other parts of the world where this is the age of, the early age of plant exploration. Arnold Arboretum was leading, one of the leaders of that charge where Charles Sargent and others were finding interesting plants in, in China and other parts of Asia and bring, sending plant specimens and then later on seeds and, and introducing the plants into our country. We've tried to incorporate, as Ricardo just said, some many of the plants that Asa Gray talked about. And But it really it kind of reflects, he, he was such a prominent, he was the, the authority that, you know, he was the person that happened to be at Harvard that explorers and others were sending specimens to to identify or to just record, and he, and and he was as a contemporary of Darwin. It was really some of what Asa Gray noticed is what really became, you know, was a very important evidence and support for for Darwin's theory of natural selection and evolution. That was when he um, published the book in 1859, and he so. It, the the importance of Asa Gray as a as a person is what I'm trying to emphasize is that the, the significance of him as a Harvard as an important botanist of his day is you know he's not exactly a household word like Abraham Lincoln and Henry Longfellow most people don't I he was I studied him as a school and and couldn't believe I was had the fortune of of now uh, working in a place where he's buried and, and there's a garden named after him. But, you know, the average person doesn't know who Asa Gray is. So we, we are hoping that this is an opportunity to really work with, continue to work with Harvard and Arnold Arboretum staff, as we have, to not, to tell the story of, of Asa Gray, but also, and to acknowledge his, his significance and importance. But I think also it's a chance for us, our goals going forward now with this new garden is to really teach, lead tours and, and written inform- materials and everything in between that really in our role as be, trying to be a model of environmental stewardship, there's pros and cons to Asia, to imported plants from other countries we now know. And so, you know, we want to make sure that we use this garden to tell, talk about the benefits that we've received from mm-hmm. some wonderful plants that have been introduced from other parts of the world, but the dangers of some that have become invasive and have you know, really cause problems to our environment. And that's an important goal of ours going forward is to is to tell that story. Right. I really appreciate that, Dave. The there's there are so many layers of fabulous potential interpretation in a space like this with a history like this. It's it's one just exciting to see a renewed energy and a renewed horticultural focus there. And mm-hmm. as our large urban oasis natural spaces are 
decreased in all urban areas because of the pressures of people in, in cities. And to have one that has so much possibility still in it and to see people putting time and effort and intellectual mm-hmm. thought into it is mm-hmm. really, I think, hopeful and is a, is a wonderful model for any of our urban areas that have spaces like this. And, and as you mentioned earlier, Dave, you can see the legacy of them across the country in big mm-hmm. urban environments. Mm-hmm. And so Mount Auburn stands a great chance of being yet again a model for the rest of the country on how to really expand on the, the value of this space and its, um, its many lessons. So. You know, I, I appreciate you saying that, and I, I think as, when, you know, back to when I first came, the, the master plan, as Ricardo had mentioned, that they thought they were going to be out of burial space in 10 years, and that mm-hmm. was, you know, 25 plus years ago. The process itself came up with lots of non-traditional I, new ideas that, that Craig and his team came up with that we've been refining and implementing ever since, but the point is we we, we are still an active cemetery, creating new space and serving the important end-of-life functions that people need at that time. But that it, that was unknown at the time. But we are still doing that, and at the same time, we're a you know a, an important green space, an urban, in an urban environment, in an arboretum. And I think what is a great garden is it's a great example of how we can continue to do both. It's not we don't have to stop being a cemetery and just become a botanical garden or vice versa. We're right. in fact very much both it's really going to work well and it has already since it's opened as a as a place for people vi- coming for a memorial service and um it's it's working quite well as a comforting place yeah. and yet and yet it's a for a Harvard Graduate School of Design student group of students or any other people coming on a tour and wanting to see a botanical garden it's it's that as well and it's and I think it's I hope that it continues to prove what what seems to be the indications are that it, that it'll continue to be both and it'll be a great example of both. Yeah. It's multitasking can be overrated but it can also be <laughs> underrated and yeah. it's very valuable in this moment. So yeah. Ricardo building off of that fantastic story you just told us about kind of repurposing these wonderful specimens from the library and then the the renovation project that you're overseeing. Walk us through what you're doing and, and how you're doing it there and, and some of the some of your, your plans for it. The garden is just about complete. I think we're working on a different uh, a new section just up of the hillside. But the the biggest piece that what we wanted to do was and what wasn't happening earlier was to make this as you come in through the gates and sort of the sort of entry precinct or the foyer of the of the of of Mount Auburn really really make it a very inviting and welcoming space that your eye would be drawn towards. So um, what we did was we we raised the grade of the garden because it was rather sunken, so that the fountain and those elements in the fountain would be visible as you kind of crossed through the threshold and saw the first old historic church, Story Chapel, and then your eye moves across. Um, around an old beech tree and you see this fountain and water glistening in in the sun and you have and it's sort of wrapped in sort of this lush garden that is very welcoming and there there are no memorials in the garden per se so it's just this 
welcoming open space and 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 be through with paving in the way that we had a lot we changed the alignment of the whole garden and initially it was a a more formal kind of four four part square a four part circle but we turned it into a three part circle and that was one of the things that Craig still you know as the kind of design leader on this sort of came up with this notion of sort of incorporating this garden that both draws you in but then also kind of reaches out into the landscape that is Mont Auburn so it becomes kind of this sort of foretaste of what Mont Auburn's about because then the kind of paths that lead you lead up into kind of then the more kind of historic or additional areas of the of the garden where there's you know the, the monumentation and the sort of funerary art but that this becomes sort of a little bit of a kind of encapsulation of that and then kind of drawing you out and pushing your eye out so as part of the design you know there were some trees that were removed there were some things so that the views could be both inward and outward and so this was this constant balancing act of wanting to be a contemplative space that kind of drew you in but then also invited the eye outward to sort of long vistas to the up the hill to Bigelow Chapel which is the other famous chapel that's now under almost under renovation and almost nearly completion but then other views into the landscape so you were always kind of this in this inward outward kind of tension in this space and I think that people have really it's been a joy as a designer and as as part of the Halverson team it's been a joy for us to come here and see this really kind of pulls people in there was a wedding recently there there was a way of and it's the whole idea of like cemeteries as as not places of the dead but bringing life into cemeteries and so that's been what's been really exciting in that this design could pull it together uh, I was here the other day for a meeting and a woman literally ran across, and I guess she had heard that we were part of the landscape architectures team, and said, you know, I want to thank you guys for just creating this amazing space. I come here so often. It's really healing and wonderful. And so I hope this gives you a little bit of a flavor of what we were trying to do, that it kind of becomes, sort of draws you through the threshold, brings you in, kind of collects you, and then lets, releases you out to the greater landscape. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. We're speaking this week with Dave Barnett, CEO of Mount Auburn Cemetery in Boston, Massachusetts, and Ricardo Austrich of Halverson Design Partnership about the recently completed renovation of the Aza Gray Garden at the entrance to the historic Landscape Cemetery. The space is dedicated to the Harvard botanist of the 1800s, known for his work recording the flora of northeastern United States. We'll be back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. Towards the end of this conversation with Dave Barnett and Ricardo Ostrich, a garden history lesson in itself, right? Ricardo describes the design goals of the Aza Gray Garden there at Mount Auburn. He says the landscape design is working to draw you in, collect you, and then release you to the greater landscape. There's something really resonant about this description to me. It's how I think about the importance of all of our gardens in general, right? Back to my quantum gardening and meta gardening modes for sure. Once upon a time, we were not quite so disconnected from the nature of the seasons, the weather, the plants and the soil, and the normal healthy aspects of both life and death in our day-to-day -day lives. 
That's among the many gifts our gardens and natural spaces bring to us, the everyday intimacy of life and death and both of their cycles as part of life. I know my garden draws me in and collects me. The seasons playing out prismatically in color, the quality of light. In the architecture of space, as trees and shrubs robe themselves up in spring and summer, and then let this garb go in the fall and winter of their cycle. These aspects all draw me in. And if I'm paying attention to their ways and lessons, they really do release me refreshed and expanded back into the larger landscape and world as a better person. In this season of drawing in, let your garden, your natural areas and green spaces and plant companions collect you. Let them hold you and prepare you for your work in the wider world. Aza Gray saw and studied the relationship of plants separated by continents, hints at earlier evolutionary stories. And those stories, and his stories, like friendly ghosts, come down to us in our plants. Listen closely to them. There is so much to learn. I'd love to hear of the stories being held in your plants, of their history and ancestral spirits. I talk a little about some of mine in this month's A View From Here newsletter. Check it out at cultivatingplace.com. And if you haven't subscribed, I hope you do. It's a really direct way for me to communicate with you more often. And I hope to hear back from you more often as well. Now, back to our conversation with Dave Barnett and Ricardo Austrich about the Aza Gray Garden at the historic Mount Auburn Cemetery. I love this image of the cemetery as a community gathering space, whether it's in mourning or in celebration or just in everyday living. And with the the now um, physical embeddedness of the cemetery into the city itself, just based on physical growth and changes, um, it's it's an important element of of any any land use. It seems to me, and. In this space, there's a there's a beautiful fountain, as I recall. And talk to us about some of the dominant and most beautiful plants and trees in this immediate space, sort of through the seasons, if you can do that briefly, Ricardo. Well, I think that there was really... In New England, uh, you know, we have, you know, the seasons are very like, kind of pretty marked very, very, very sharply. So what we wanted to have was in, in sort of in the winter months, you'd have kind of a, some foundational evergreen plants that kind of kind of held you. And so that when you when you come in in the middle of winter, you know, it, the space does not look completely dead. There are these wonderful rich evergreens we have a, a golden mop camisiferous and we have several of those that kind of kind of are threaded through the garden and they're rather large plants and they feel sort of a, like it's like a big shaggy dog and they're really warm and fuzzy and then then through the seasons as you move forward there's a, 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 a kind of an important display of what 
we have here is witch hazels. And so the witch hazels are great because there's also it's a great plant that tells the story of the, the Asian witch hazels, which flower very early in the spring, or the native witch hazels that flower in the fall. So they kind of take you through those sort of cold winter months. And so the witch hazels then are the kind of harbingers of greater beauty throughout the spring. There's magnolias, and there's a beautiful, there's a beautiful Yulan magnolia, magnolia denudata, that was part of the original, the, the plants that were planted um, when the, the, the Japanese maples were planted. And so that's this beautiful, luscious magnolia that blooms. And so you, you have the magnolias, and, and those are kind of make their display, and they kind of are the kind of the increasing drumbeat of spring. And then next are the, the, the dogwoods, and you have the, the flowering native uh, American dogwood, but then you have the Japanese dogwood. And so you have those kinds of things. And, and so the, the story is a story that's told not only through just flowers, but also the colors of the twigs. And so that the different unfurling of the leaves, the the, the the Chinese ironweed or the parodia, which is a beautiful kind of Asian plant that has beautiful, bright, kind of uh, reddish leaves that come in in the springtime, and it's just quite wonderful. And then the, the season continues. You have what are the silverbell trees or the snowbell trees, and there's the American snowbell and there's the, the, the Japanese snowbell. So again, having that sort of dialogue of the native uh, native versus sort of the Asian plant, or there's trees called stewardias, and there's sort of the native stewardia, stewardia monadelpha, and then there's the Japanese stewardia, and then stewardia rostrata. So there's a series of, and those are kind of more in June, and a June flowering that, that then sort of continues, and, and then towards the midsummer, you have things like the dove tree, which is a beautiful tree that... Um, is, a, is an Asian tree that is quite wonderful. The ginkgos are there, of course, as well. There's a beautiful old ginkgo that was saved, and the metasequoias. And so there's this sort of sort of symphony or the kind of choreography of plants that kind of move in and out and are the stars of each moment in the season. And then as we approach the autumn, there's just sort of then the, the colors of the late season bloom our, our late season foliage is sort of becomes quite something and this is where then as we approach autumn this is where the kind of herbaceous components of the garden are really important so you have things like you have asters and you have you know um, you have hydrangeas that bloom in the summer and, and you have all kinds of wonderful things that are sort of midsummer bloom and then towards the end of the summer you have all these sort of things changing colors and kind of then starting you ready again for the fall so it's this long kind of it's a big cycle of life yeah it de definitely is and dave how many gardeners work within within the site whether it's the asa gray site or the entire the entire facility how many gardeners work on this space well i mean the asa gray garden is is brand new and and that remains yet to be seen out what it's really going to take. But what we certainly have talked a lot about it and imagined and have and have um, been looking for, you know, it's going to. It's not just bodies. It's bodies with a skill set that is really, mm -hmm. you know, a, a much more sophisticated garden than the than the average. It's and so, but overall, I mean, so we we know that and that that it'll be quite a challenge to keep this looking maintained at the high standards that in general Mount Auburn has. But we are mm -hmm. fortunate. To have a, a year-round staff of uh, a tree crew and and gardening crew, and in the winter we're not gardening so much as planning for what we're going to do in the in the spring and the summer, but also snow plowing and <laughs> all the other things right. that come with New England winter. But but that, but we do do a lot of tree work. But then 
but uh, you know, going f- forward with A's of Gray, we know that there's going to be a seasonal. We're, we're going to be using college students and our se- seasonal other our seasonal employees. You know, it's going to take considerably more effort than than our the average part of Mount Auburn. But we've been kind of this is for many years we've been really making a commitment to the shrubs and ground covers layers that I think is what more different at Mount Auburn than than most cemeteries is that there's all the layers from grass. It's not not a lot of beautiful trees over lawn. It's just lawn. There's lawn, but there's also a lot of the, the plantings that we've been done, doing for a number of years to, to on slopes. And, you know, we've been trying to get rid of mowed, the need to mow grass. Every year we eliminate more by, even though, we're, but we all s- still are a cemetery that there's certain expectations that people have of visiting a cemetery with, depending on where their monument is. But at the same time, low ground covers and islands, ovals, island plantings of of ornamental grasses or other herbaceous perennials and dwarf shrubs. So a lot of what is now in Asa Gray Garden is we're pretty used to. You know, it's been uh, mm-hmm. the kind of things we've been incorporating into the, the landscape of Mount Auburn for, for some time. But it'll... We're fortunate to have a, a a commitment from the board and from staff that that's, and and we have a a nice it's a, a lot of resources that we'll be able to uh, apply to this. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how much it really takes. But but we do have a good sized crew now already. And that that is wonderful to hear about the commitment because I think those layers are. They're what give it that seasonal richness. It, yeah. They give it the visual richness. They also are, are what help provide actual habitat for mm-hmm. um, for any wildlife right. kind of kind of hopes. The description you gave, Ricardo, of, of those different trees and their bloom times and their peak interest times, as well as the pairings of the native and the non-native, really illustrated beautifully some of the, the concepts that you had mentioned earlier that um, really came to life in, in that description of those trees. And you touched on really nicely some of the joys that you have had in in this work on this on this garden space as it's about to be launched fully into its completion for both of you and maybe I'll start with you Dave you know what Ricardo started to talk about the joys for you as a horticulturalist but also as a a planner and manager of this public space what what are the greatest joys and hopes that you have for this space going forward, I mean, I, you've touched a little bit on the the educational hopes, but what what others might there be? <laughs> um, try to hold myself back because it, it, there's a lot to talk about. But but right. you know, it really is. I guess I could start with the fact that, so, as you've heard, we moved those Japanese maple trees in 1999 when they were going to be cut down or re- from the library and we saved them and we were able to move them here. That's when we had hoped to really get, you know, to, we started the planning with Craig Halverson and his team and we're going to you know, keep going with this, this concept. So it's very, it's, it's a relief and a great joy to have finally completed it almost 20 years <laughs> later. But, but then, you know, but that, that, that's on many other layers. It's just so, it gives me, such um, pleasure to see. I've seen groups of of kids 
you know, all all looking and excited of running around the garden. And, and hopefully they're not, you know, if they were doing it at the same time, there's a family grieving or visiting it, that would be a problem. But fortunately, that's, you know, people are pretty respectful. And, um, and, it, and it, you know, it's been over different times of the day and weekend. We've seen everything from, from I saw a photographer with a tripod taking pictures with a baby on his backpack on a, you know, the other, other day. Um, but then at the same time, there's been um, people, it, it really seems to be working. I think it's, you know, more, even I came as a horticulturist, that's my, but what I thought I was going to do when I grew up um, is work be at an arboretum or botanical garden, and I am that, but at the same time, I'm, I now, you know, really appreciate the importance of what we provide as a cemetery to families that when they're having a, they're really at need and, you know, have this lost someone, and, and it, this garden is, is working for that too you know i mean it, it's it really is i don't think we've maybe we've mentioned there's benches a number of seats and teak benches scattered throughout and you know there's it, it really the garden had become overgrown and it wasn't as inviting there were some old shrubs and trees that weren't the visual you know it's just been opened up and it seems to be really inviting so from either chapel from the that i've really noticed people families coming out or gathering before and coming out after a service and really lingering much longer than they used to and it, it apparently is a very comfortable place to be you know and I, I think um, so I guess I, there's a lot of a lot of pleasure or gratification maybe is a better word you know it feels good to me that, that we've been able to create this space that serves so many different functions right and what about you Ricardo anything else to add on the the joy of this project coming to completion I, I think for all of us on the design team, and I think I can speak for everyone, uh, number one, we are immensely proud of this, but we um, it, it takes a great client to make a great project. So we are delighted to have, uh, in the form of Dave and the staff at Mont Auburn as a client, to be working in partnership with them in the creation of a new destination garden for the Boston area because this is what this has become. It's a garden that people will come to and visit Boston and come visit this garden because it is so incredibly special. And so all of us are just feeling incredibly honored to have had the pleasure of, it is in some ways a once in a lifetime sort of culmination of, of many things of of creating a very special place. As landscape architects, we work on all kinds of projects. And this one that is really, really focused on horticulture and plants and history and healing and memory, I mean, it, it has all the touchstones of, I think, something that uh, is, is just profound. And so I, I think um, everyone uh, approaches project with a great deal of reverence and a great deal of excitement and a great deal of gratitude. Thank you both very much for being guests on the program. Our pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure as well. Dave Barnett is a trained horticulturalist and president and CEO of Mount Auburn Cemetery. And Ricardo Ostrich is a landscape architect and senior associate at Halverson Design Partnership in Boston, overseeing the renovation of the Asa Gray Garden, marking the entrance to the cemetery. Mount Auburn is first and foremost a cemetery, but it's also a national historic landmark, a botanical garden, an outdoor museum of art and architecture, and an important habitat for urban wildlife. 
Join us again next week as we prepare ourselves for what I like to call the season of gratitude, from Thanksgiving here in the U.S. through to the winter solstice and the new year. We revisit our episode featuring Day Shilkret of Morning Altars, whose new book on his seven-step practice to nourish your spirit through nature, art, and ritual is now available. There are so many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. To make your contribution of support to the program, follow the support links at the top right-hand corner of any page at cultivatingplace.com. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. To subscribe to the Cultivating Place podcast so you never miss a conversation, as well as to read more about and see many photos from Mount Auburn Cemetery, head over to cultivatingplace.com and follow the subscribe links or the link to this week's episode notes. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.